Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. Let's have a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we truly, truly, truly thank you for your goodness, for your grace, for your mercy, and the fact, Lord, that we could be here and that we have peace with you. We pray, Lord Jesus, that as we open up your word, as we consider the things which you have before us today, that they will take root within our hearts, Lord. Um, They would go through the process of being intriguing within our minds and they would seep into our hearts Lord not our hearts which we think is is gooey and gushy Lord but the center of our being and Lord and that it would um, challenge us Lord to to if need be make changes in our life Um, to draw closer to you Lord Jesus to be more like you because um, that is the goal Um, that is what we want to be like, Lord. We want to be like you. So, Lord, we commit this time into your hands. We pray, Lord, that um, it is sanctified, set apart unto you. So, Lord Jesus, if there's anyone here right now who, you know, may be thinking, you know, that their life is not going right and they've got so many worries and problems on their mind, Lord, I pray that they would take that thought captive right now. That, Lord, they would be open to hear from you, Lord, and to, and to respond to you. So we commit it into your hands in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I pray like that because, you know, we're here today, and it's a very good crowd we've got here. And church can be a very, you know, a lovely place where you can, you know, get lots of support and love, and, um, you know, you can really be helped. But church can also be a scary place to be in. And I say it can be a scary place because um, by coming to church, in so many ways we're saying that we, we want to come and hear from God. We want to be exposed to what the Spirit of the Lord may have to say to us. And it's scary because we may not like what the Lord may say to us. And so we are oftentimes faced with a decision as to whether we want to actually be obedient to the Lord or whether we want to just carry on doing our own thing. And so church can be a very, very scary thing. And today, um, at the second service, we will be beginning a study in the book of Ephesians. And Ephesians is a very interesting book, letter, epistle, all meaning the same thing. It's very interesting because as well as speaking of very natural and earthly things, it starts taking us into the realm of the heavenlies, into the spiritual dimension. And it, in so many ways, tries to help us to understand that realm and that dimension. And so today we will be, as I said, beginning this study in the letter to the Ephesians. And I suppose as we begin this study, um, as always at Calvary Chapel um, South London, we we will be doing the the background information, maybe be a a bit of the historical information as well. And some of you are there thinking, oh no, not the historical information again. Not background information, but... Background information is like your Brussels sprouts. It's like your greens. It's like the stuff you need to know to help us to understand exactly, you know, what is going on here and get a good picture. So if you will bear with, with the text and bear with the study today, I'd be ever so grateful. So as we look through Ephesians, you know, my personal desire is that the study as we go through it will inform those of us who perhaps don't know anything about this letter and it would help us to gain a little bit more insight. 
that it will encourage those of us who maybe are familiar with this epistle to look a bit deeper, deeper into the depths of God's word and, and get excited about God's word. Sometimes um, we don't get excited about God's word and what it's actually saying to us and the things it's revealing to us. Um, my desire is to challenge those of us who maybe have been Christians for a while when we've lost our way. And maybe we need to refocus and we need to apply the principles which are laid out in this epistle so that we can walk worthy of the call for which we have been called. But ultimately, um, my desire is so that we could provoke each other. Provoke each other corporately. Um, You know, as well as having to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, we have a responsibility to each other. And, you know, my desire is that we will provoke each other, you know, corporately, so that, you know, we can, again, be obedient to the, thing which, the things which God will reveal to us through his word and by his spirit. Now, the overall picture of Ephesians can be summed up as God revealing his new society. The letter clearly shows what this new society is, how it came into being through Christ Jesus, how it is to grow through the proclamation of God's word, how we as Christians are to live our lives by applying God's word to our lives. And it shows us how one day all things will be consummated when Christ presents his bride, the church, to himself without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. Humanity is going somewhere. Christ is coming back for his bride. And we have to be ready. We have to know exactly, you know, what are the answers to a dying world. We have to know these things. And Ephesians give us clues. It gives us keys. It gives us tools to hold on to. Now, before we actually start getting into the book, um, again, a bit of historical background. And Ephesus, in so many ways... um, can be seen as, you know, a modern, one of our modern cosmopolitan cities today. You know, in so many ways, um, there was a lot of wealth, there was a lot of poverty there. Crime was rife and sexual immorality, along with ritual prostitution, was very much the norm in Ephesus. Um, it was one of three leading trade cities in the ancient world. You had um, Syria, I mean Antioch in Syria, you had Alexander in Egypt, and then you had Ephesus. And so Ephesus was a very prominent city, and it's where you, it will be in modern-day Turkey. And it was the spiritual center of the worship of the goddess Artemis, better known as Diana. And Diana's temple was, in the ancient world, considered to be one of the seven wonders of the world. And I don't know if you remember in the book of Acts, but um, the Apostle Paul went to Ephesus, and while he was proclaiming the gospel there, there was a public outcry from the silversmiths, who who was annoyed with Paul because he was making them lose trade, because they were there making their silver images of Diana, and they weren't selling because people were leaving occultic practices and they were turning to faith in the true and living God. And it's interesting to actually read the account of this. And so if you have your Bibles with you today, I'd like you to turn to Acts chapter 19, because it's very, very interesting what happened in Ephesus at this time. And it will begin to give us, you know, a bit of a picture, a bit of a flavor of exactly you know, what was the spiritual climate of Ephesus at this time? 
So if you are at Acts 19, please say amen. 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 Starting from verse 8, it says, And he, Paul, went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some when, but when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard of the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Now, God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the disease left them, and evil spirits went out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. And there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirits answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who believed came confessing and telling their deeds Also, many of those who practice magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. So for reading this, we can get a, a sense of exactly what was the spiritual climate of Ephesus. They were into the occult. They were into the demonic arts. And through Paul's ministry, multitudes, both Jews and Greeks, were leaving the occult and they were coming to saving faith in Christ. But as they were doing this, some of them were getting scared because they were thinking, wow, I'm left this occultic practice over here. And those people who are still doing it, they may start putting a curse on me. They may start doing stuff to me, and I want to make sure that I'm protected. And so, Paul writes this letter to encourage them that, you know, the one in whom they now serve is far greater than any demon, or any principality, or any power. And so, Paul pens this letter, and Ephesians you know, is an encouraging letter, and he wrote this in AD 62. Now, a few few discrepancies, which I think it's good to point out. Um, Before the 19th century, it was widely accepted, especially amongst the early church fathers, that Paul was indeed the author of this epistle. But... Since the 19th century, there have been skeptics who have suggested that, you know, there's too many discrepancies with his authorship. And these have mainly been based around things such as the lack of personal greeting in the letter to those they believe Paul must have had relationship with. If he was there for two years teaching the disciples, he must have had relationship with them. And unlike other letters where he goes, he gives personal greetings, in this letter there's no personal greeting. So they look at that and they say, well, we don't think Paul wrote it. They challenge his authorship as they look at the amount of times that particular favorite words of Paul is or isn't used within the text. And so they say, well, you know, this is a particular phrase which Paul uses, and we don't really see it here. So mm, we're going to question whether he is really the author. And thirdly, they challenge it because of the style of writing. And they say that the style of writing isn't necessarily consistent with the way 
Paul wrote his letters. Now, as I've been studying, I've been looking at the text. You know, Paul, on two occasions, identifies himself as being the author of the text. The discrepancies they they bring, in my mind, you know, if somebody is a writer and they decide to, you know, write one way, are they not at liberty to now write in another way? If they were highlighting one point in a few letters, are they now not at liberty to start highlighting other points? I think so. And so, personally, I don't have any problems with Paul being the author. And personally, if he is the author or he isn't the author, I can take the spiritual benefit from the epistle. I don't have to get hung up over it. And so it's important just to highlight these things because as we go through this epistle as a church, really, it isn't for me to just come and spoon feed you, as Mark was saying earlier, every week. It's for us to corporately to go through it together. You know, for you to do your own personal study within this letter to the Ephesians. Now, another discrepancy which I think is important to highlight is the fact that in not all of the manuscripts is the word Ephesus actually used. They they are used in the early manuscripts, but later manuscripts, the name Ephesus is taken out. And again, I don't really have a problem with that because this letter to the Ephesians was actually used as a circular letter. It would have gone around to all the churches in Asia Minor. And so the spiritual benefits, which was specifically for this church, was, is specific and relevant to all the church, just like it's relevant to us 2,000 years removed. And so, again, I don't struggle with those discrepancies, and I hope that you wouldn't either. And I'll mention them because I'm sure that some of you will be studying this. You'll come to me and say, well, there's some discrepancies about the authorship. So I wanted to get in there first. Anyway, it is also believed that, you know, um, those of you who are familiar with the book of Colossians, um, chapter 4 and verse 16, you know, again, Paul mentions that, you know, speaking about a letter to the church in Laodicea. So... Again, this could very much be the circular letter which went around Asia Minor at that time. So just important to just highlight those things. Um, and so we look at this epistle and what we need to do is we need to, we need to draw from the spiritual revelation that it gives to us. Um, and... When we look at it, a few observations is that Ephesians doesn't necessarily directly deal with issues. Now, if you were to study the book of Galatians, Galatians very much deals with an issue which has arisen within the church. There was the, the whole um, discrepancy again about Jews going back to the law. And so Paul writes this letter to the Galatians and says, who's bewitched you? Why, have you? why are you going back to the law? You know, Christ is more than the law. He has fulfilled the law. And so he writes that letter for that specific purpose. In the book of Colossians, we have this thing called Gnosticism. And there was a group who were trying to infiltrate the church to say that Jesus wasn't really real. He looked real, but he wasn't real. He was actually really a phantom. And so what they, you know, so in the book of Colossians, you know, Paul takes time to say that, you know what, Jesus is very much real. You know, he is um, the revelation, the visible revelation of the invisible God. And so he takes time to build that argument. And then we have the book of Corinthians, for example. And we know that believers there were acting spiritually immature. They had spiritual gifts they could flaunt, you know, speaking in tongues and healing, and, but they had no character, absolutely no character. And so Paul writes that letter 
to challenge them and say that, you know, you're misusing the gifts and you need to become spiritually mature. But in the book of Ephesians, he's not dealing with any issues. What he's actually doing is he's writing an encouraging letter. An encouraging letter, wanting to sort of like rally together the saints, the troops, to say, do you know what? Do you know actually what you believe in? And that is a question which we could really ask the church today. Do we actually know what we believe in? In whom we believe in? Because sometimes the church is just seen as being weak, as being very, don't get me wrong, being very, very feminine and weak and not, you know, strong and willing to stand up for truth. And it's like the Lord is saying, do you know who you are? You're in me. You're seated in heavenly places. You are seated far above all principality and power. Do you know that? Because if you know that, you should live like that. If you know that, it should provoke a change. But the majority of us, me included, we, it's, like we, we, it's like we're scared. You know, an issue comes up at work and instead of you getting in and saying, no, that actually, no, the Bible says, or this is what I actually believe, we coward. We decide we're not going to do it. It's like, oh, they might think I'm, I'm weird, I'm a geek. Who cares what they think? Stand up for truth. And that's exactly what this book wants people. It's like he wants to shake you. Who needs a shaking? I'm going to say that again. Who needs a shaking? See, you guys don't need a shaking. You need some Ephesians. That's what you need. You need a shaking. We need a shaking. I need a shaking. And, you know, when we meditate on God's word, when we meditate on it, you know, Ephesians wants us to know, as I said before, that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. And as we recognize that and we know that, it wants us to rest in that. It's like the book... It, it's amazing if you meditate on that thought because it wants, you, it wants you to know where you are, to rest in where you are, and then from a position of rest, it wants you to move. Everything else says, no, do you know what? If you want to get to God, if you want to sort of like be pleasing before God, you have to do. You have to start doing this and you have to start doing that. Christianity isn't saying that. It's all been done for you. Rest in it. Know it. Kick back, but don't kick back too much. <laughs> and you know, if you really meditate on that, it's wonderful, it's sobering to know that I don't have to hump and strive and make it work and make it happen. God's done it all. I just, Lord, I accept it. It's beautiful. And as we rest in that knowledge, you know, as I said, it's like it attempts just to push you, empower you to walk. Walk as Christ would have us walk. Walk in the unity of the Spirit. Who says we need some unity of the Spirit around here? The unity of the Spirit in spiritual maturity so that we're not lo no longer children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. It wants to encourage us to walk. Because as believers, we just can't just stay in this resting place. We have to recognize it, accept it, say, thank you, Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, what do you want me to do? You want me to walk? Okay, I'm walking. It's movement. We walk with the Lord. And as we begin to walk with the Lord and we come across challenging situations which can potentially rock our worlds and provide us with opportunities to stumble because we all get those opportunities. We all have those choices we have to make, whether it's about 
whether we're going to be nice to our work colleague, whether we're going to be nice to our partner, whether we're going to go in that direction and we know the Lord doesn't want us to go there, but we're going anyway. We all have those opportunities to stumble. And it's what it does after that, as we're walking with the Lord, what the Apostle Paul encourages us to do is that having done all to stand, it's like simples. But we make it so difficult. Having done all to stand, it wants to encourage us, to strengthen us to stand. And so, as we look at the text, as we go through the book, you know, an overall um, summary of the book could also be this theme of, and this movement of sit, walk, stand. We are seated with Christ. We have to walk with the, um, with a, worthy of the calling which we have been called with. And then we stand fighting the good fight of faith. Now, as well as this, Ephesians also highlights, as I've just mentioned before, our position and our experience. Now, I don't want that to sound too cryptic, but again, positionally, in Christ Jesus, we are seated with Christ in heavenly places, positionally. All right, you've got to work with me, guys. You've got to work with me. All right, we've got to make sure you're there. You there? We rolling together? Good. We are seated with Christ Jesus in heavenly places, but experientially... We may not be feeling like we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. We may be feeling like, oh me. I am the worst. Oh Lord, how can you love me? Oh Lord, how can you forgive me when I always fail you? Can I get a witness? Amen. Our experience doesn't always match with our position, does it? And so what it aims to do is to try to get some balance in our life. And an equal balance is an abomination to the Lord. Amen? So we need to get some balance, you know, of our position and our experience. And even if our experience doesn't match our position, God is still God. You know, so... As I said, we may be going through the roughest time physically, emotionally, spiritually. And again, we can read in Ephesians, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And we could be there in our minds saying, yeah, right, I don't even, mm, no, I don't think that's going on in my life. But... This, again, is part of the key to Ephesians, is that our experience does not negate the reality of who we are and where we are in Christ Jesus. So, if you're going through a difficult time, be encouraged. If all hell is breaking loose, be encouraged. I'm always reminded of Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail. It was midnight. They, they were just banged up they're in the they're in the inner prison of the inner prison wherever they were and beaten and they're singing psalms they're singing songs they're praising god and we get a ticket and we're like oh no no god why are you why are you punishing me lord perspective you know the lord has called you we are here today as i said not by accident you're here to sit under the word of the lord you're here to be challenged and be provoked because god has called you by name he has called you and he's expecting 
all of us to walk worthy of the call for which we have been called. That's his expectation. Not that I come to church, sing two songs and say hallelujah. And so, Paul, he writes this epistle. Now, some more background information before we really get into it. And this is, is that, again, the, the, the letter to the Ephesians is divided into two sections. You have three doctrinal chapters, and then you have three practical chapters. The doctrinal chapters are chapters one to three, and the practical chapters are four to six. And we have the two divisions because... You know, again, we as Christians sometimes can get really weird because some of us can start knowing all this stuff. We start getting our doctrine dialed in. We start saying, yeah, this is what I believe in and I can back it up with, with all these verses of scripture. And then you look at their lives and you're like, hmm, but practically you're not outworking that. You know the stuff, but you're not outworking it. And so it becomes useless. Useless information in someone's head. And the Bible says that knowledge puffs up. It makes one proud. And so what we need to do is we need to have the knowledge, because knowledge is still a good thing. It's not a bad thing. But we need to have knowledge, and we need to outwork what the Lord is working in. That's what we need to do. And so we have this clear thing here. We have doctrinal chapters because we need to know what we believe in but then we have the practical ones because we need to know how to outwork what we believe in amen and so ephesians establishes this and after saying all that we could perhaps turn to verse one and ephesians chapter one verse one and again, my hope today is perhaps just to look at the, the greeting and the first three verses and, or two verses, and then we'll try to wrap things up. So verse, in verse 1, we see that all the things which hopefully I've, tried, I've communicated to you, all these things, the Apostle Paul has them outworking in his life. You know... He has his doctrine dialed in. And he has the practical elements being outworked within his life to the point where Paul actually writes this epistle from prison. He is in prison writing this letter. And again, we're going to be looking at this, into this in the weeks coming, but from him to be in prison writing this letter and saying the things he says, none of us should really have an excuse when we go through, you know, difficult times. We shouldn't. You know, and he, Paul is an amazing guy, but even though he was an amazing guy, he fulfilled the will of God in his life. God commissioned him to do these things, and he was faithful to it. And so he writes these letters of encouragement as Pastor Robert, you know, was sharing with us for, for the book of Acts. You know, he went on all those missionary journeys because it wasn't just about, you know, here's a letter, just get on with it. You know, he put meat to the bones. He was out there doing the work. And so he writes his salutation, his greeting to these believers. And he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. To the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. So here, Paul affirms his apostleship and the authority in which he writes the letter. He was an apostle 
which we know was a special commissioned one. Um, not like apostles today, because he was given scripture to write. Okay, we don't have apostles in this sense anymore. Um, but he was a special commissioned one. And, you know, just considering Paul, and you can do your own background study into the life of Paul at your own pace. But I was just thinking that all the experiences, all the life experiences which Paul had were beneficial to bring him to this point where he was fulfilling God's will in his life. Do you understand what I mean? You know, where he was born in Tarsus. The family in which he was born, because he was a Jew, but he also had Roman citizenship, which gave him great benefits. The education he had, he could speak Jewish, he could speak um, Latin, he could speak Greek, he could write in Greek. You know, so he was an educated guy. And all these things, you know, helped to shape his character to form him, to form the person he was. And it made him equipped to do this job, to write these letters, to be so influential, you know, in terms of the New Testament, to be like a tool, like a weapon in God's hand. Amazing. His authority was in Christ Jesus And as we look at this, you see, the authority was given to him by God the Father. And as we look through this epistle as well, you know, you're going to see a lot of interchanging between how, you know, we we, we have the Trinity just being highlighted. You know, God the Father, God the Son, by the working of the Holy Spirit. It's just beautiful how it just all works together. And as... He would write this letter, you know, and considering, as we read in Acts, that, you know, the handkerchiefs of Paul, the aprons of Paul was healing people, that, you know, their own occultic leaders were saying, you know, we, we cast you out in, in, the, in, the, in the Jesus whom Paul preaches, and they were getting bent up by demons and everything. You know, when Paul wrote a letter to the Ephesians, and they're thinking, oh, man, that Paul, he serves a God with power, you know. They're going to listen to what Paul has to say. They, I'm sure they were like, Paul's written us a letter. Wow, we better sit down. Be attentive. And, you know, as, as we read this and we look at Paul and Apostle of Jesus Christ, and you know, we're grateful for Paul's life and everything. Maybe we can look and say, yeah, yeah that was Paul. You know, Paul was big, isn't it? It's like... Paul was heavy. I'm not, I'm not like Paul. Who's ever going to be like Paul? And it's the wrong way to look at it. Because as I said before, that was the responsibility. That was the commission that God had for his life. The question I'm asking is, what is the responsibility? What is the commission that God has for your life? For my life? Because we would all say yes and amen that God has a plan and a purpose for all of our lives. Wouldn't we? And so, you know, we may be here today. You may be a doctor. You may be a teacher, a social worker. You may be a lawyer. You may be a student. You know, what is the will of God for your life? When you look at your life, do you look at all the experiences you had and just think, oh my goodness, I made some bad choices in my life. Oh, if only I was somewhere else. Or do you look at it and just say, do you know what? These experiences, good and bad, are helping to form the person I am right now. And God's allowed these things to happen in my life. And whether he wanted them for me or he didn't want for me is not really the issue. Because the amazing thing about God is that he can work all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. All things. So whether you think you made bad decisions, God's able to just say, 
That's a good decision in my book. I can work with that. He's able to do that. And then the question would be, are you able, are you willing to allow him to do that? All things are redemptive in his hands. And so, we look at Paul being an apostle, but, you know, I believe we could put our own name there and just whatever work we do or whatever we do and just say by the will of God and then function and walk within what the Lord has presented before us. So be encouraged, family. So, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And he writes to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, with this second part of verse 1, if you're really paying attention, um, it seems like there's two separate groups being mentioned here. It would give that indication. The saints who are in Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus. And it's an interesting point. And again, in your own time, you can go back to Acts chapter 19 and you can see where Paul, you know, very sporadically makes reference to Jews and to Greeks and to Jews and to Gentiles. And we get the impression here that Paul is doing a similar thing. Not to make this a distinction and and totally separate these two groups, but to highlight it. I believe he's highlighting the two groups here. And he's highlighting it for a specific purpose. Because Paul, again, very clever guy, he is going somewhere. He is building a case. And as he writes his letters, he actually puts, you know, at the beginning of the letters, he starts presenting things which he's going to later on establish. And I believe that's exactly what he's doing here. He says, to the saints who are in Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus. And again, to help us to really appreciate what he's trying to write and communicate, we have to think who were the initial recipients of this letter. You know, Those in Ephesus, it was Jews and Greeks, or Jews and Gentiles. Who were coming to saving faith in the early church? It was Jews. And that's why, you know, we have Paul being commissioned to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Okay? And so, Paul highlights this distinction between the two groups. And as I said, his overall focus is that he wants to build this case. And the case is to highlight the complete work and redemptive power of Christ, of what Christ has actually done. And sometimes we can just miss what Christ has actually done. You know, it's because... In Christ, he has re- Christ has redeemed all things back unto himself. If you can, I'm going off, but if you can think of Genesis, you know, sin entered the world and it was like humanity was lost. Creation, it now groans and it waits for the revealing of the sons of God. It's like creation is is in disarray. It's like humanity is lost. It's like everything is just in chaos. Christ comes and through his cross, he redeems everything back to God in him. And then he says, we're in him. It's too much. It's too much. You've got to get excited about God's word, family. You've got to get excited about God's word because it's too much. If you're really feeling it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to rock your world. It really will. It'll make you look, look at the scriptures totally different. Maybe to help us understand what Paul's communicating, just by making a distinction here, 
flip over your page to chapter 2, verse, and we'll begin from verse 14. I could actually take it from a bit further, but I think I'll stick with verse 14, which says, For he himself is our peace. Thank you, Lord, for your peace today. Who has made both. So he's speaking of two groups. Who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and he preached peace to you. Who's the you? Gentiles, who were afar off. And those who were near, who was near? Jews. For through him, we both, Gentiles and Jews, have access by one spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you, Gentiles, are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, Jews, and the members of the household of God. Powerful. And so we see that in verse 1 here, Paul is just setting the platform of where he's going. I couldn't, I couldn't keep it. I had to just go there, so... But he's setting the platform. And so um, God's plan of how through the cross, you know, he's no no longer looking down and, and just looking at Jew and Gentile. He's looking at one, those who are one in Christ. You know, that is God's economy here now. And if you can handle it, the church could be considered a prototype of how eternity will be looking because there's not going to be a separation of Jew and Gentile. It's going to be one. We're going to be one in Christ. And so, very interesting. Now, before we move on to verse 2, and I really want to encourage all of us to really take a hold of this, this, this letter, this epistle, and really, you know, read it, six chapters, and, and make your own observations. Make your own observations through the text. But one thing, which is a key phrase throughout the whole epistle, is, is this phrase, phrase, in Christ, or in him, or in whom, you know, and a key to studying the scriptures is that when you see repetition in the scripture, it's like the author, the Holy Spirit, is trying to draw your attention to something. He's trying to get your attention. You know, he's repeating a word, a phrase, again and again and again. But it's like, Duh. all right, I get it now. Okay, so look, maybe use a highlighter, underline exactly how many times you say in him. In whom? In Christ Jesus. In Jesus Christ the Lord. It would be an amazing little study. And we'll look at it a bit more next week. But verse 2 goes on to say, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. You know, it's a lovely saying that most of us say to each other now. We, it's like we're you know, sending a text, grace and peace. Or grace and peace, see you later. Yeah, all right, cool. Grace and peace. Love it. Grace, God's unmerited favor. Receiving what, you know, we just don't deserve. You know, God giving us something which he doesn't have to give us. Grace. And it indicates God's free saving initiative. Because it is God who, you know, has taken the initiative to come down to earth and to save humanity. Everything starts with God. And so we have grace and peace. 
And we can only have peace because of what Christ has done for us. We can only have peace with God because of what Christ has done for us. Otherwise, no peace with God. No security with God. No right relationship with God. But God, taking the initiative, gives us his peace. And we have peace with God, but again, you know, in closing, you know, the direction of the peace here is from God, our Father. We have peace with him, and it's beautiful because we have peace from him. And that's good to know. That's, that's very, you know, um, sobering to know that as well. That we, God's not angry with us. We have peace with God. And he wants us to, you know, study to show ourselves approved. He wants us to walk in him. He wants us to recognize all the benefits, all the eternal benefits which he has provided for us. And so we'll leave our study there for today and we'll pick up in verse 3 next week. So let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's so rich. You know, that when we feel like we've reached a place where we say, yes, we know all there is to know about God. It's like you just show us that the depths of your knowledge, Lord, are unsearchable. And we thank you for that. I pray, Lord, that the things which we have considered today, Lord, they wouldn't just be words which sounded like a good message or not a good message, Lord, but they would just resonate in our hearts and in our minds that, Lord, we would take your word, Lord, that we would, you know, truly um, seek you, Lord, where you may be found, and that we would be encouraged, Lord Jesus, to know that, you know, you have, you know, blessed us, Lord, with every spiritual blessing, that you have, you have allowed us to be seated with you, Lord. It's such a privilege, Lord, and we give you thanks for that, Lord, because we know that we couldn't do it for ourselves. And so continue just to minister to our hearts and our minds as we leave from here today lord and as we worship you even right now lord expressing our love and our adoration to you in jesus name amen